Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Show. If you ever wanted to get into commercial property but don't know how to, this is the show for you. We're going to take you through live market updates, how to put a deal together, what the experts say about commercial property and real life investor journeys and how they became financially free through commercial property. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. So if you tuned into our last podcast, we would have gone through the five risks for commercial property and I would have broken it down to show you what those are. But now we're going to delve deep into each and every one of them. And the first one we're going to talk about is tenant risk. Tenant risk involves the tenant itself, but also a little bit about where the rent sits in terms of the tenant, also about the tenant itself, how they compare in the market, whether they're a favorable tenant or not, whether they're a tenant that is at risk or whether they're a tenant that is going to have longevity. What kind of tenant should you be investing in? Because if you're looking at commercial property and you're looking at longevity, there's a few areas that are important. One of the most important areas is about tenant, but it is about the tenant in comparison to the area. Because if you go to different states or different suburbs you would find that there's particular tenants that will survive really really well in a particular area and would really suck in another area for example I spend a lot of my time being a beauty therapist on the northern beaches of Sydney it is the biggest congregation of hairdressers there so we would have in an area like Narrabeen where I was we would have five or six hairdressers literally in that suburb and that is very unusual because most people might have one or two in the suburb we literally have double or more of what people have in any other suburb but It is a suburb where every hairdresser thrives really well. Every beautician thrives really, really well. It just happens to be the characteristics of that suburb. And then we will find that in Western Sydney, there's lots of suburbs who don't really have those cafe style type of tenants where you see it on more the northern beaches where you see more north shore definitely eastern suburbs where people can just have brunch together or they can go and sit down and have a cup of coffee in the middle of the day because people are commuters they're commuting from western sydney they're going into the city and they're not actually loitering about and they're not actually having the brunches and all these things that you would traditionally have in an area that has gentrified so so if you have a tenant that is that kind of business in Western Sydney, it might not survive. And that's very unique across the board. It doesn't have to be in Sydney. I just happen to live in Sydney, and this is why I'm using that example. You can be somewhere like you know, a Glen Waverley in, in Melbourne, where it is Asian predominant. So you, you live and die by your food, right? If the food is great, you're going to have a great cult following, and you can open uh, to the late hours of the morning or early hours of the morning, and you'll still have people queuing up, right? Or you could really, you could be in an area where there's literally nobody who will eat Asian food or Chinese food and all you have is westernized Chinese food, but predominantly it might be an area where it's driven by maybe more Indian food, maybe food that has more different ethnic background, or purely by fine dining. So the areas change and you'll find that even in areas that are industrial or you'll find large format industrial, like a pet barn will pop up, like a tire power, where you wouldn't get as many of the mum and dad uh, tilt slab distribution type of uh, of tenants because they just don't happen to survive well. Each and every suburb is different. Each and every state varies even more. So if you want to delve in deep, want to understand a little bit deeper, tune into this podcast, continue listening, and let me share with you what to look for when you're examining tenant risks. Today I'm going to cover this 
the first risk, like there's five risks, remember we talked about in the introduction video. If you don't know what they are, please go and refer to my previous video that was uploaded last week. And we're going to be, which introduced you to the different risks. Today, I'm going to talk about tenant risks, right? This is where people say, oh, well, commercial property is all reliant on the tenant. Well, yes, but the uplift components actually on the building, what else you can do to the property and, you know, creating more letable areas, etc., etc. There's a whole strategy around that, which in one of my other videos I have. So check out the rest of my videos. But today we're going to talk about tenant risk, because when you get into a commercial property, one of the things you need to assess is the tenant risk. What exactly is the tenant risk? What are you looking at? What are some of the things that are important and some of the things to, you know, that you think is important, but not really important. So things like how old is the building? Well, that's only, that comes to a different type of risk. That's nothing to do with a tenant, right? And sometimes that's important to some people and not to others. As long as the building's been upkept and functional in good condition in commercial property, they should be fine going many, many years and decades forward, right? So it's not like, you know, it's dilapidated because it's been there for 20 years, 40 years, 50 years. So that's very different. Another thing is people think about how long has a tenant been there? And that's a really good indicator of the future. Yes, it is. But also, the, that is only the history. And to the best of our guesstimate, we can see the history and think that in the future, they've got many, many years going forward. And that's absolutely true. But we have seen during COVID, brands disappear overnight. We have seen pop-up stores that's become really, really popular. We have seen that there's been brands that came up during COVID that is now going to flourish going forward. So just because they've been there for 10, 20, 50 years does not mean they're going to be there for the next 10, 20, 50 years. But it is a high likelihood. And we can tell that by seeing you know, how long they've got along the lease, how many lease renewals they've had or lease options they've taken up in the past, how many options they've got in the future, uh, and whether they've added a new option recently. So all of those is good indications of whether the tenant's going to go forward and continue to be there in the future. But also, tenants do restructure their business. So if they're a franchise, sometimes the head office owns the the, the lease in the beginning, they negotiate the lease, then they pass on to their operators, which is just totally normal. And then the operators may then, you know, sell it to one of their senior staff members. This is just in the normal course of business. So tenants change and that does have inherent risk, but it's not as great as some of the other risks I've got posed here. So let's have a look each and every one of these risks here. So what we're seeing here, the first one is area and foot traffic. Why is area and foot traffic so important? And what exactly is area and foot traffic? So what we see is, for example, you've got this, this shop, right? Let's say this is your shop front here. So this is your shop here. Now, we want to know what kind of foot traffic goes, whether it goes that way, whether foot traffic goes that way, whether there's parking here, right? There might be parking. There may be no parking. You might find the parking's on the other side, so people don't want to cross the major road to get to you. And if, unless you're a destination store like a bank or something, if you're just a shoe shop or a clothing store, or even if you are just even a grocery store, like one of those uh, patisseries or something, people may not want to do that. If they don't, they can't pull up at the front. That is talking about foot traffic. We look at the area, and what we want to see is do we have other supporting tenants around the area? So we're talking about little hubs. Like, do we have, you know, other particular delicatessens? Do we have other, um, you know, allied health? If that's, say, a podiatry store, you know, shoe shop, do we have other podiatrists around there? Do we have potentially other tenants that can support this tenant or send business to this tenant, right? That is what we're looking at when we're looking at area and traffic and we're looking at that kind of risk. Yes or no longevity of the tenant. So that's one thing. The other thing is competition. Now, competition. What exactly is competition? Well, it's to say that, you know, say, for example, you're a vegan cafe, right? Let's say you're a vegan cafe. 
You're serving, I don't know what you're serving, but here, like let's say you're a vegan cafe, right? And you're serving, let's say, a particular type of very healthy, organic type of food. Now, when you started in this area, let's say that this is the area, like, and you started here, right? And we've got lots of high rises here, and we've got sort of um, shopping centers here, and, and we've got lots of traffic coming through because you were the only people there. But what if, you know, five years down the track, or even you can see that in the area, in the sort of next two years, there's going to be one that pop up there, one pop up there, one pop up there. There might be, you know, bulk foods. There might be other organic foods. There might be lots and lots of other other competition that come up. And how does it affect you? Is it going to bring you more business? Because sometimes having a lot of the similar business together creates a hub and people just get a variety of choice in eating. One of the good definitions or one of the good ways of seeing this is when you go to a university area where there's lots of Asian students, you see bubble pearl tea everywhere. Within 500 meters, there's four shops, right? And you think, how do they support this? But they obviously do because there's heaps and heaps of people just going there to the different shops. Is that a case of that? If that's the case, no problems, right? But is it because if there's a whole lot of competition, but there's demographics, and now we're changing to demographics. Now, if demographics doesn't support that in the future, then they might, you know, all collapse. So that's one of the things to assess as well. And then we come to rental increases. So rental increases over time. Now, this is one of the things about rents, but also about tenants. Can your tenants afford rental increases? 4%, 3% or CPI? But right. what can your tenants afford, right? Because the thing is, some tenants can afford very quickly because they charge a high premium for their services. So if they're doctors, allied health, or particularly if they even they serve a particular type of food, there's Asian desserts that they charge a bucket load for. Um, there's particular high-end restaurants where they need to be in that location. They can afford a 5% rental increase every year. But perhaps your tenant may not. So let's have a look at that in line. So if you've got an everyday mum and dad cafe and all of a sudden you see 5% rental increases, you're starting to think, well, maybe sometime in the future, two, three years down the track, I'm going to have to scale back the rent. It's not, doesn't matter right now, but I'll have to scale back the rent. Or maybe they've already been in the premise for three or five years. And now you realize you really do have to scale back the rent in the next um, 12 months because it's getting too high for your tenants to really afford. So this is an affordability um, issue. So what we're seeing here is affordability. Can your tenant afford the rent, right? So, or is it too high or is it growing at an exponential rate? It can be really, really good growing exponential rate, but you don't want to send your tenant broke because that is going to cost you a lot of money. So that is where your other risk is. And then finally, we're looking at demographic changes. So what exactly is demographic changes? So demographic changes is who's moving into the area, who's moving out in the area. And do you know that? It only takes 11% of a particular ethnic group to actually tip the scale, right? 11%. So for example, you're having a lot of um, so white Anglo-Saxons in this area, all of a sudden you have a whole lot of overseas uh, people buying to that area. It might be Asian, it might be Indian population, it might be you know um, Arabic background, whatever it is, it might be Muslim background, whatever it is, right? 11% is what tips the scale and gets more and more people in that demographic coming in. So you might end up, so we have different suburbs like that. For example, a Sunnybank and Eastwood, uh, we have Glen Waverley, you know, all of these areas that are Asian population driven. And then we've got areas where we might be Vietnamese um, demographic driven or might have areas where you have your basically your very uh, ethnic uh, Middle Eastern driven, whatever it is. Like it is a demographically driven area, right? It takes 11%. Now that change in demographics may mean that all of a sudden no one eats vegan food anymore, right? Because if they're eating traditional halal food, they're not going to eat 
uh, vegan food. If they're eating traditional Asian food, they're not going to eat vegan food. So is that cafe or is that restaurant going to die out? But potentially, also, there might be springing up other type of tenants as well. So a lot of Asian demographics, you might end up having acupuncturists, might have Chinese medicine clients that are doing really, really well. You might also have that there's Chinese grocers that need to pop up there and other high-end delicatessen things that sell maybe pâtés and cheeses and things like that may just diminish because there is no need for that. Or there might be a different kind of cake shop they prefer over um, a particular type of cake that, you know, the Anglo-Saxons people like. So it actually changes that. Or maybe, you know, I've seen areas where it's heavily Asian-driven and you have office buildings all full of tutoring, right? You wouldn't see it in any other demographic except for an Asian demographic full of tutoring tenants. So they've got piano on one level, they've got uh, they've got guitar, they've got mass, they've got English, they've got, uh, they've got all of that all congregated in one, you know, one building because it's just around the corner from a huge amount of apartment blocks and that's what's changed, right? previously it's probably filled by accountants financial planners uh, lawyers but now it's all changed to that tutoring and you're wondering well how do they make the rent but parents in an asian demographic pay a lot for it so you've got to understand your demographic is the demographic changing and that's come to do with a lot of residential sales what's been selling up there who's moving into the areas of white colors of blue collar we're looking at trade is this area still gentrifying so a lot of that is about understanding the areas again if you don't live and breathe this stuff it's going to be hard to know right so I always benchmark it to, you know, all the suburbs around Sydney and what other areas and different cities look like. And that's why we're always on the road looking at properties. So next week, I'm actually going to take you to Adelaide where we're looking at inspections in Adelaide. Uh, so you get to see us down there looking at and, and exploring the area. But in the meantime, these are your four things that we look at during the due diligence process. And sometimes it's hard to get your head around it when you're looking at different suburbs and different areas. And we're taking you across Australia when we're looking at a property for you. And this is why you need someone that's in your corner, someone that is absolutely building a portfolio with you and for you. So if that's what you're interested in, you want to jump on a strategy call, reach out to me, helentarrant.com, or email me at helen at commercialpropertycashflow.com.au. Tell me if there's any other questions you have or you want me to cover in commercial property. Until next time, keep hunting, and I look forward to building you a passive income portfolio through commercial property. Bye for now. You've been listening to Commercial Property Investor Show. Tune in to the next episode to find out how you too can replace your work income with passive income through commercial property.